I pray that you would give us peace this morning and open our hearts. Open our hearts to take just something, just one thing with us this week, that we would have it in our hearts to carry it with us, to move powerfully in you. I pray for that in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You know, I was thinking this week, my grandfather has now been in with the Lord for a few years now, and I was thinking back of all the time I spent with him and all the, the fun moments, moments I had, and he loved to tell stories. He was a storyteller. He had a bunch of ones, some which I will not repeat, but some were just really amazing, and one he had that he really, really enjoyed telling. I'll, I'll just share here, and it was one from his childhood. And he grew up in, in a town that was on this, uh, this big hill. I'm an engineer, so it was a hill at 40 degrees. It, when you tell a story as an engineer, you have to give the degrees of yes. the hill. So it was, it was a nice, it was a nice uh, steep hill. And one day he was going up, and this was the, you know, the 1900s, and he was going up with his friends, and he was a teenager, and there was this hearse that was going up. There was a funeral procession, so it was a very somber moment. And as this hearse was going up, and as this hearse and funeral procession was going up, the, the coffin that was in this hearse, well, someone had not done their job, you know, the best in the world. They were definitely going to get fired after this. And they had failed to actually seal down the coffin that was in the back. And the doors were open in this particular hearse that was there. And so the coffin fell out of the back of the hearse as they were going up this hill and started to slide down the hill. And so as it was sliding downhill, people were shocked. Others were trying to stifle a laugh because you obviously cannot laugh at a coffin going down, even though it was actually really funny. But, you know, the family's there, and it was awful. And at the bottom of this hill, there was a, um, an old-timey pharmacy. Think of it as an old-timey CVS in the 1900s. And there was big, nice glass panes in the front, all nicely washed and all that. Not hurricane glass panes, just regular old glass. So the coffin slid down the hill, and it hit these glass panes, and it broke in and fell into this, this old-time pharmacy, you know, for, for drugs and cough and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, the person who was attending this pharmacy, as they looked in, looked up, and they see this coffin sitting there, and the coffin all of a sudden bursts open, and it, as it bursts open, the dead person sits up, turns to, the, turns to the attendant and says, do you got anything for my coffin? And he took... <laughs> That was God laughing, too. He took immense joy in telling that story every time, changing the first part so that you would not tell it was the coffin story until he got you about mid to halfway through. And as much as I loved those stories, he was a pastor for a great many years, maybe I think it was around 30 years around there, 42 years. And he would also tell me really moments of faith, stories where he would say he would go into hospitals and God would move on his heart, and he would pray for little children. Uh, I think there was one case, it was a little baby whose heart had stopped and the family was grieving. And God moved on him to lay his hands on that little child and pray for them, and their heart started to beat again. There was moments when he would be in front of, it was this, in this case it was actually a Baptist church, and God would move on him to pray over someone in the Holy Spirit, which is stressful to do in a Baptist church because they don't actually do that. And God would move and miracles would happen. These are the moments of faith that would stick with me. And I think we all probably have those moments, those moments of faith we hear from our elders, maybe our grandparents, maybe you have a grandmother, and you think as a child, what can I do to get that to happen in my life, for God to move and for those to happen in my life? Because it's those moments of faith that those stories that stick with us that we hold on to in the hard moments. When we're going through, we say, you know what? I remember that God moved in them. I think that God can move in me right now. Yes. So I was 
thinking upon these moments of faith, and I was reading over the moments of faith in Israel, because if you ever want to hear some amazing moments of faith, go read the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It is moments of faith after faith after faith. But at the end of those moments of faith, there is a particular point that really stuck out to me. And so let me set up what's going on. This is in the book of Ezekiel. And so in Ezekiel, Israel had sinned, and they were about to be taken off in exile into Babylon. They have actually several names for Babylon, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians. So they're about to be taken off in, into Babylon. And we see here God talking. Can't actually see it. So we see God talking in, in Ezekiel, and it says in Ezekiel 22, verse 30 to 31. So God's talking, and he says, I looked for someone among them. So this is among Israel who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their heads all that they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. God was searching. He was searching for someone, anyone who, what it says here, would stand in the gap on behalf of of him who would stand in the gap before him and cry mercy and cry forgiveness. And I believe that if we want to move powerfully like those history moments, those moments of faith that we have in our hearts, whatever that is for you, whatever moment of faith you have, maybe it was told by your grandparent or by your grandfather or by your grandmother, or maybe it was just something you read when you first got saved and you read this moment and you read of Moses and you read of Aaron and you, and you read of David saying, I want God to move like that in my life. What do I need to do to do that? And I believe it's this right here. We need to be those who stand in the gap, to stand in the gap before God. That when everyone else is crying judgment, we stand and we cry mercy and we cry forgiveness. Because I think it is just as important today to do those things than those people that God was looking for in Israel. So let's, let's take a pause and let's, let's step back and look at who are the people that stood in the gap? So it's Ezekiel, and God's looking for someone in the stand in the gap. Who are those that came before? Who are those that stood in the gap on behalf of Israel? And what can we learn from them today? Because today we have Jesus. He is our emulator. He is the one who stands in the gap forever for us. And we must emulate him. We must do as he did. And I believe we can learn from these people who stood in the gap how we can act today to really move in power and to move in all the hope and all the faith that Jesus gives us so that we can have our own stories to tell our kids. Yes, the fun ones as well. Feel free to pick up that hearse one. But also the moments of faith. The moments of faith that we can tell them, God moved in me. My grandfather told me that it moved in him. And I tell you that God will move in you. Those kids, I know, they just, they went in the back to have fun. But it's, it's for them that we're here. It's for them that we go through the hard times. It's for them that we say, let me teach you what it means to stand in the gap so that one day when it's hard for you, you will remember my story as I remember the story of my grandfather and I will tell you what it means to stand for God and how God moved powerfully in me and how you can move powerfully as well. And I would like to talk this morning on standing in the gap. So let's go back to the beginning of this history and start with Joseph because if there is anyone who really deserved to give judgment on someone, who really deserved to be bitter, but yet chose not to, it was Joseph. So Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, he was given, first off, he, it was very clear to his brothers, he was his father's favorite, so that did not help him. And then God gave him a dream. He told him in his dream that his brothers would bow down to him. Now, whether this was wise or not, he then elected to tell everyone by the way, God gave me a dream, you're all about to bow down to me, which I'm just going to tell you may not 
be the best decision to make with your brothers and sisters. They're not going to like you, probably, probably the best when you do that. But he did decide to tell them, and so they were initially actually planning to kill him. But then they decided at the moment, we won't kill him, we'll go and sell him into slavery instead, because that is definitely so much of a better option. <laughs> so he had every right to be bitter at his brothers, but he chose not to. In fact, one amazing thing that we see about Joseph is time and time again when he was wronged, when he was taken into Potiphar's house, and even though he did nothing but bless him, when he was wronged for something that he did not do, for a second time he never got bitter, he never got upset, he always honored God and loved God in every situation, and so he was blessed in everything, in every situation that he did. He didn't allow bitterness to overtake him, but through patience and continual service, he honored God in everything that he did. And so when his brothers came again, and when there was a famine in the land, and he had every right in this moment to show bitterness and show uh, upset and to basically, well, he could have killed him if he wanted to. He was the head of all of Egypt other than Pharaoh. No one would have said otherwise. They would have said, fine, that's what, that's what Joseph wants, that's what Joseph gets. But instead, he showed them mercy. But how did he have this mercy to give? I know sometimes we are in moments and we think, I need to show mercy or I need to show forgiveness in this moment. But it's hard in that moment. Where does that mercy come from? And I was at the... Uh, chiropractors this week, and, and I, they were going through all the various things that they do, and one thing that they said actually struck out to me. They said, you know, oftentimes people go to the chiropractor, and they think that the reason that you go is there's something wrong with your bones, right? And that that's caused by doing something wrong, you know, overstressing your bones. But they said, oftentimes, it's not overstressing that we see, it's actually underuse a sedentary lifestyle, either from always looking down or not moving around, that causes the bones to degrade. And I believe that same thing is true about mercy and forgiveness. Oftentimes, when that big moment comes and we know we need to show forgiveness, when we know we need to forgive someone that hurt us, because people hurt us like they hurt Joseph, we don't know where in that moment, where do we get that mercy, where do we get that forgiveness? And I believe we get it from those small acts all along the way. It's a muscle that you have to train. It is something that you have to build up in those small moments, in just forgiving someone that cut you off in front of you. I know, actually, that's possibly sometimes the, the hard moments. Um, but when you forgive in those small ones, when you forgive in those small moments, you then build up this mercy muscle so that when the time comes and you need to forgive, you actually have the muscle built up in order to forgive. And I believe that, you know, mercy and forgiveness for us works the same way. And so while Joseph's brothers deserved judgment, it says in Genesis 45, verse 7, that he, he cried over his brothers. It said he actually teared up. He cried over them and said that God sent me, God sent me, not you sent me, not you betrayed me. I'm here because of you. God sent me. Whatever you had intended, and I don't know where you're at in your life. Wherever you're at in your life, it wasn't because someone wronged you. It wasn't because it's someone else's fault. God sent you. God sent you there to that moment to preserve for you a remnant on the earth, to save your lives by great deliverance. Whatever you had intended, God meant for good. Whatever ill you had meant, God meant for mercy. Yes. He honored God before Potiphar. He honored God when he was thrown in prison, and he honored God when he was made second in all of Egypt, so that when his brothers came, he could continue to honor God and give them forgiveness. And standing in the gap means honoring God in those small things. If we want to have those moments of faith that we then give out onto the next generation, 
We need to honor God in the small things. We need to love God in the small things. So we have that story to tell when they say, oh, what is that moment when God moved powerfully in your life? You can say, oh, it was that great moment. Uh, maybe I don't know if it'll be for us, like placing your hands and having healing come. But we can say, you know, I wouldn't have been able to place my hands. I would not have been able to do that powerful moment if that week before I had gotten bitter or upset because someone cut me off or I was getting bitter because someone at work. It is because I was faithful in those times that I can tell you this amazing story of faith now and say that God can move in your life as he moved in mine. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, in doing the small, in doing the little. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. When you are faithful in the small, when you are faithful in the little, when that is standing in the gap in the small, then when that big moment comes and God looks and says, will there be someone to stand before me? Will there be someone to move? Is there someone who's ready? Is there someone that's been faithful? Because I'm about to move. It won't be like Ezekiel. God will say, I found someone. You're going to go and we will have our own stories to tell and our own moments of faith to pass on to the next generation. And because Joseph was faithful in the little, Israel, that's now the nation of Israel, was saved and lived in Egypt for a total of 430 years. And after 430 years, Egypt wasn't as kind to them as they, as they used to be, and they were under extreme oppression, and they were under uh, slavery. And God sent them. They cried out to God, would there be someone else? Is there someone else to stand in the gap? And God sent them Moses. And Moses, I love Moses, Moses is an amazing man, and I just love to see all of the stories and all the amazing history moments of Moses. But what I would like to focus on is actually after Moses had come out of Egypt, with Aaron, by the way. I think Aaron doesn't get a very good rap. I was just watching, uh, um, I was watching the animated, you know, the animated movie, uh, Moses, the Prince of Egypt. They do not do Aaron right in that one. Aaron was with them doing the entire time, doing the, mir- doing the miracles. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes we, for- we, we forget that. But I would like to focus right now on Moses. And as he was coming out of Israel, and he is on Mount Sinai. And so the Bible says that he was on Mount Sinai for a total of 40 days and 40 nights. And as he was on the mountain, Israel... Um, is, well, for lack of a better word, they got extremely impatient. They're saying, look, I know that he was going to go talk to God. It's been a long time now. Let's hurry this thing up. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. And so they went to the priests and said, you know what? You make for us an idol. And then th- this will be brilliant. So you'll make for us an idol, and we'll just pray and bow down to that, and then we'll move on with our lives. Um, you know, sometimes we look right now in the news and everything that's going on, but uh, I guess the world really hasn't changed much, hasn't it? We wouldn't know anything about you know, the impatience of wanting to move on, of wanting, wanting to get, get going. So they made a golden calf, and they began to sacrifice to it. They got impatient. They didn't want to wait on Moses any longer. They wanted immediate satisfaction and the ability basically to do whatever they want because a golden calf will never tell them that what they're doing is wrong. It just allows them to have all of their sacrifices, and they can move, and, and they can, move and they can do what they want. So God's on the mountain, and in what I believe is one of... One of the funniest moments, I'm going to get to what I believe is the actual funniest moment later. One of the funniest moments, he turns right to Moses and says, Moses, your people whom you've led up out of Egypt, funny how that works, has sinned and done wrong, so I'm about to go and wipe them out. And in this moment, Moses pleads for forgiveness on behalf of Israel and says, I remember God 
that moment of faith. I remember, God, the promise you gave to Abraham. I remember the stories of the promise you gave to Abraham, of the promise you gave to Isaac, of the promise you give to Israel. I plead for forgiveness on behalf of them. You know, he didn't have to do that. He could have said, oh, finally, they have been taking me off so much. Can I have a seat as you're watching them down? I'm just going to sit up over there. It's a nice seat. I'm on the top of the mountain. When you lay it down, I have the front row tickets to destruction because God had said, I will make you a great nation, so I'm going to be good. But he didn't say that. But how did he knew to go before God? What gave him that boldness to go before the Lord and say, I know what I need to do right now? And it's not saying, hey, can I have a seat? Can I watch? It's, I need to give them forgiveness. I need to seek mercy on their behalf. What gave them that, what gave him that boldness? And I think that's in Exodus 33, verse 13. He's talking to God and he says, if you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Teach me your ways. See, Moses knew his God. He knew that he was a forgiving God, a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in love. And if we want to move in all that God has for us, if we want to have our own moments of faith and we want to stand in the gap before him, we need to remember that our God is a God of mercy, that our God is a God of forgiveness, that when, for, that when justice is due and bitterness comes up, we need to cry, but I declare upon them mercy. I don't want to give them mercy, but I declare upon them mercy. And so God relents and says, I will show mercy to Israel. And Moses can, and, but says, you know what, I'm going to show mercy to them, but I'm not going to go with them. I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to send an angel ahead of them. But I'm going to stay here. And Moses responds and says, no, no, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know or be pleased with me and with your people and know any difference from us or distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth? He sought his presence, and the Lord said, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. When we want to move powerfully in God and have those moments of faith and stand in the gap, we need to seek the presence of God. We need to ever seek to be in the presence of God, because when you are in the presence of God, when you know the knowledge of God, then you start to well up, and the Holy Spirit moves in you and says, remember what Jesus did, who is the one who stands in the gap for us? Remember what he did. You need to be asking for forgiveness right now. You need to be seeking mercy right now. You need to be praying for them right now. So that when people wrong us and when people hurt us, we will ask for mercy on their behalf. I know I had a, a moment this, this week. It's one of those practice what you preach, which always tends to happen whenever you're building up a sermon. You're like, no, I just want to work on the sermon. And God's like, yeah, but you need to practice it here. So I was at work, and it was at the end of the day, because nothing ever bad happens at the beginning of the day when you're well-rested, nor after lunch, you know, when you, you know, you're, you're a little up because you just had a good lunch. It's always at the very end of the day so that you can stew on it during the night. That's when all the worst emails um, come on and by. So someone sent me an email that just, oh, it, 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 was, it, was, not, it was not fun. He, he was upset at me, and he was ticking me off, and I felt I was wronged without cause. After all, I was helping him out, and all of a sudden it was, it was, all, it was all my fault that everything had gone everything had gone wrong, and I wanted to lay down the verbal beatdown of a lifetime on this person with everyone on the email, but in that moment, I remembered my God, I remembered his presence, and I remembered, like Moses, I remembered what my God was and who my God was, 
And he wouldn't want me to lay down the verbal smackdown of a lifetime. He would want me to ask for forgiveness. So I did what was probably the hardest thing for me to do in that moment. I chose not to respond to the email. And instead, I began to pray. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pray for forgiveness for this person. I'm going to pray on their behalf that mercy and blessing would befall on them. And you know, it is actually really hard to stay mad at someone when you're praying for God to forgive them. You can try, and don't, it, will, it will try. You will try, but as you're praying for forgiveness, then God starts to pour forgiveness into you. As you're praying for mercy for someone else, then God starts oh, to pour true. mercy so into you. That's right. And you know, it says in Matthew 5, verse 43 through 44, that you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. It goes on to say, forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Jesus says that. And if we want to stand in the gap for others, if we want to have those moments of faith that one day that we can go and tell the next generation, oh, you're having a hard time, let me tell you what God moved into me. We need to remember to pray for others, to stand in the gap for others and pray for them. Because if, as we start praying for someone else, because standing in the gap is all about doing it for someone else. And as we start to do it to someone else, God starts pouring into us. As we start asking forgiveness for someone else, God pours forgiveness into us. Joy for someone else, God starts pouring joy into us. And so we have those moments, those moments of faith, those moments of joy where God can pour into us that we can, that we can have those continual practices of mercy that we practice and yeah. those knowledge and yearning for God. But there is one more person that I would like to focus on. It is, it is someone that I mentioned earlier kind of, you know, blends into the background sometimes when we tell these stories. A very relatable person that had to overcome fear and self-doubt and, and uh, a lot of past mistakes. And that, that person is Aaron. You see, Aaron was with Moses when he was in Egypt. He was with him all as the miracles were going on. He was with him with Pharaoh. He was with him in the plagues. And he was made as high priest of God, but he was, like us, by no means perfect. In fact, he actually made quite a few mistakes. That idol I mentioned, yet, well, there was one person that actually made that idol. It was Aaron, high priest of God. First act, as high priest of God, is let's make an idol for the people to worship. It was a, it was a splendid way to start off his, his, high, his high priesthood. And what's really funny, this I said earlier, that was my second most hilarious moment. This is my most hilarious moment, because Moses comes on down, and he talks to Aaron. Aaron's his brother, by the way. So he says, brother, what were you thinking? thinking you're high priest of God what did they do to you and of course Aaron replies and says well well you know these people like you know he was he was probably afraid of what they were going to do to him they were very upset and so he out of his fear gave them exactly what they wanted but he didn't tell Moses that his story to Moses was similar to the story I told you earlier about do you have anything from my coffin because he told Moses you see here's what happened what I did is, all, all I did, Moses, brother, you know me, all I did is I asked for all the gold that they had, and I just threw it into the fire, and what do you know? You can read this. Poof! Out pops an idol. I didn't do anything, that's all I did, and idol just popped out of the fire. And I imagine that Moses' face was probably like, you know, everyone here's face when I said, do you have anything for my coffin? It's probably a good thing that a high priest of God is a terrible liar. But he had a lot of mistakes, and yet... He still needed to move in all that God has for him. He had made a false idol. He then lied about it badly, but he still lied about it to Moses. But he did not let those mistakes hinder him. And we cannot let our mistakes hinder us from moving in all the things that God has for us. For in Numbers chapter 16, 
verse 46 through 48, we see that a plague has been set upon Israel. They had basically rebelled against Moses and Aaron. They had said, we don't want you guys in charge anymore. We don't want you running things anymore. Who are you to say that you're better than us? Who are you to say that you're greater than us? And so as punishment for that, a plague starts to go throughout Israel. And so Moses quickly says, he turns to Aaron and says, take your censer and put incense in it. This is the incense that you offer before God. The, this censer, this incense represents the blood that Jesus will pour out on the cross. Everything that they did, just as a, just as a pause moment here, everything that the priests did in the Old Testament was always pointing to what Jesus would do. It was always a representation before God. I will do this, even though they did not realize it, because your son will one day go to the cross and do this. So he took his censer and he put incense in it along with the burning coals from the altar. And he said, hurry to the assembly and make atonement for them, for wrath has come from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. He ran towards the death. He ran towards the sin. I could imagine he was seen with his eyes. People dropped before him. And it says the plague has already started among the people, but Aaron offered incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. You know, one thing to note about this is Aaron actually lost two of his sons, Nahab and Abihu, when they as priests offered what the Bible calls unclean fire before the Lord and sinned against the Lord. So it's not as if in this moment he was thinking that this is the safest thing for me to do right now. He, he knew the consequences of of being a priest of God and offering holy sacrifice before the Lord, but he had faith, you know, maybe I've messed up, maybe I've screwed up, but maybe if I go before these people and I offer on their behalf incense, although he didn't know it, pointing to Jesus on the cross, maybe God will show his forgiveness. Maybe he will show his mercy. And I tell you, the enemy will come against you and tell you about all the mistakes you've made and the past screw-ups you've had, whether you're a good liar or a bad one, and all the reasons that you cannot do what God has for you. You know, I, I chuckle sometimes. I can't seem sometimes to remember my password for Netflix, but that mistake I made when I was nine years old, that is as clear as day in my head. And I think that's just an attack of the enemy coming yeah, against right. us and saying, you know what? He'll come against you and say, you did this. Remember when you made this up? Remember when you screwed that up? Remember when you didn't do that right? How can you ever teach the next generation or have that moment of faith or stand before God? And Aaron had said, you know what? I lost my two sons because they didn't do it right. I know I did wrong. I know I screwed up, but I'm going to go. I'm going to run towards the plague. I'm going to run towards the death on behalf of these people because maybe God will use me to forgive them. And I tell you, God can use you and will use you if you're just willing to go, if you're just willing to stand ahead so that the next generation, you say, watch what God did. You can have your own grandson and say, watch what God did in my life. And I tell you, he will do the same thing in your life. He did not let his past mistakes or failures hold him back. He did as Moses asked. He stood between the living and the dead, and that means he's standing half in the dead. Are we willing to run towards the dead? Are we willing to run towards the hurting? Are we willing to run towards the broken? When everyone is running away, when everyone is running the other direction, and say, I'm not doing this because my life, my safety is assured. He had, I, I imagine as he was running, he was remembering his two sons. It's not as if he was thinking, oh, I'm going to be safe if I do this. 
following after God isn't always the safest option. But he said, but I'm going to do this because I know my God. I've watched Moses. I watched the plagues that fell in Egypt on him. I know my God is a merciful God. I know my God is an amazing God who is abounding in love and forgiveness and mercy. And if I step out on their behalf, I'm going to believe and declare that God is going to use me, that God is going to use me to forgive them, that God is going to use me to love them, and that they will be saved because I was willing to step out. But here's the amazing thing, because no matter how many people, whether it was Joseph or whether it was Moses or whether it was Aaron, who would stood in the gap before God and cry mercy and forgiveness and love, whenever they would pass, someone else would have to take their place. Until one day Ezekiel came round, and there was no one. And Israel cried, who will it be that stands before us? Who will it be that will stand before God and declare mercy? And it's such an amazing story because then you read the story of Isaiah. A light has dawned, a high priest who will stand before us, who is our example to stand in the gap for us. So when we say we have to stand in the gap to go and move in us, that God will move through us, we look at Jesus Christ, who came, who died on a cross, and who is, the Bible says, our high priest to forever preach mercy and forgiveness and love. And if we want to move in the things of God, if we want to move in the things of Jesus, we have to look at that who's, who, the one who stands in the gap before us and say, I need to do as he does. I need to do as he did. I need those moments of faith. I need to practice mercy and forgiveness. I need to go and seek him more, to know my God more, that when those hard moments come up, the knowledge of God wells up within me and his presence comes in me and says, I know what I need to do in this moment. I need to pray. I need to offer mercy. I need to know forgiveness. No matter what mistakes that I've made or no matter what mess-ups I've had, I need to go and I need to just preach God's name powerfully and just believe that he will use me. I've skipped all ahead. Because <laughs> it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, it says, I tell you that people will see justice. You know, oftentimes nowadays people say we need justice. But that's actually already taken care of. I say that my God is a God of mercy, and he is. But justice is done. The Bible says that anyone who does not believe in the name of Jesus Christ already stands condemned. So we don't actually need to practice condemnation or justice, that's done. That's finished. That's the thing. We're reaching people who are lost and who are hurting. The condemnation has already been done for any who do not believe. What they need is someone to declare them mercy and forgiveness. Do not, do not be mistaken. What The sin is real, and there is punishment for that. That's why we need to go. That's why we need to move. We need to practice forgiveness and love for them because when Jesus died on that cross, it's done, it's finished. The enemy has been defeated. What we need now is to be people of mercy and to be people of grace and to be people of forgiveness, reaching out to them so that when they reach those gates, they will say, I am here because someone was willing to stand out for me. I am here moving because someone was willing to let aside the wrong things that I did to them and the angry emails that I sent to them and took a moment, even though I never knew it, to pray for me so that I would hear the good news and so that I can stand here and say, I am here before the Lord because they decided to stand in the gap before God and say they wronged me, they hurt me, but I pray forgiveness and mercy on them. Because I don't need to worry about the condemnation. That's already done. What I need to pray is forgiveness and mercy and love. So if 
We need that this morning. If you're here this morning and your heart's crying out, will you need that? Will you let me pray for you this morning? Lord, I pray that your mercy and forgiveness would pour out from us onto others. I pray that a knowledge and a yearning and a passionate knowledge for you would pour into us. And if anyone is in this room who says, you know what? I need you. I need you. I need that mercy and forgiveness to pour into my life. I pray that you would touch their hearts. Touch their hearts and pour into them that knowledge of forgiveness and mercy, a fiery passion to know that their God is a loving and forgiving God. And you know what? I think we should do just a moment of faith. And if there's everyone bowing their heads, no one looking around, if there was anyone in this moment that says, you know what, I, I think I've let my past mistakes and my hurts hold me back too much. I, I really just need to have a moment of faith and say, Father, from this moment, I'm not going to let those things stop me. I'm not going to let those things hold me back. Just cry out to God, Lord, this, this moment. Just cry out to God and say, God, I need you. And if there's anyone in this moment, either in here or watching online, that has never heard that there is someone standing in the gap for you, that there is a Lord standing in the gap for you, that there are people in here who are emulating who our God is standing in the gap for us, I think that God's going to move in you this morning. I think God's going to really reach you this morning. Wherever you're at, whether you're at home or whether you're at work or whether you're listening to this, maybe years in the future because we post everything on YouTube. Whatever it may be, I pray that God can move in you this morning. And all you have to do is this. It's very simple. It's not anything weird. All you have to do is cry out to the one who stands in the gap for you. That is Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is say, Lord, come into me. So if that's you this morning, just pray in your heart. Say, Lord, Jesus, come into me. Lord Jesus, fill me. I want that. I want you to stand in the gap for me. And if you do that and you believe that and you declare that, I know that God will move into you and that you will be saved and that you can go and reach others because that's what it means to stand in the gap for others. That is what it means to be a Christian. Everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that we move and every step that we make is always on behalf of someone that's not us, is always on behalf of someone else is always on behalf of the hurting and the broken and the lost. So if you pray that this morning, I know that the Lord will come into you. In the holy name, amen. Did you receive the word this morning?